shortly to come. So in God's providence, he was preparing them uh, for that. So we'll read the text. Uh, starting with verse 1. Greeting, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Born again to a living hope, blessed be the God and Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, O Lord God, for this day and for this provision that you've given to us, your holy Lord word, your holy inerrant word, your holy perfect word, Lord, that is our rule of faith. We thank you and praise you that, Lord God, you have given us this in your grace, that, Lord, you make your will clear through your word. And pray that, Lord, as we look into it this morning, that may the words of of my mouth, Lord, be your words. Lord, may it be words... Lord, that are good to the glory of Christ and to the edification of this church. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, talking about the resurrection that secures our steadfast hope, and that hope is in the inheritance that uh, God has provided for us. Um, You know, I'm sure that... uh, Maybe everyone has had somewhat of an experience of finding something old in an attic or, you know, some keepsake that maybe uh, parents or grandparents wanted to keep for you and, uh, and, uh, and you come across it and discover it. But, uh, but by that time, the heat or moisture or mildew or other things, you know, have maybe, uh, have maybe messed up those things. And I'm, I know that there are stories uh, too numerous of people who were hoping for an inheritance from, from uh parents or grandparents or whoever and uh and then what they end up getting compared to what they expected at times turns out to be extremely disappointing but uh i'm sure that the inheritance that we have will exceed will exceed whatever we can think or imagine so let's uh look at this we have a sure and steadfast hope that cannot be taken away and Peter begins uh, with a blessing, with a benediction. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll look at four things. Four, his great mercy to us sinners. His great work in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. His gracious inheritance laid up for us. And his great power that preserves us through faith. So, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And blessed, you know, it comes from the words eulogetos or eulogy. Something to say good, to praise, to adore, to lift up, to honor. And Peter begins with this uh, benediction, which was a common practice in the synagogue meetings, you know, of the, the early, in the time of Jesus, in the time of the apostles. 
that those meetings often began with a, with a benediction such as, there is one that's recorded in a, in a book of those benedictions that says, Blessed art thou, Lord our God, and God of our fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. And in verses 3 through 9, Peter, being a Jew, has Christianized this blessing of God. You know, we saw from the life of Peter how much Jesus saw in him to call him the rock upon which he would build his church, the word, the faith, you know, that was there. And yet we saw that uh, Peter was very flawed. But, but such was the impact of Jesus on Peter that, Jesus, that Peter changed his Jewish way of referring to God. Instead of blessing the God of our fathers, he has blessed the God now, he says, who is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ and who through Jesus is also the father of all believers. Synagogue Benediction 1 goes on to bless God because he will fulfill his promises of grace to the fathers by bringing a redeemer, by bringing help, by bringing salvation to their children's children. So Peter shows that God's promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have been fulfilled in the coming. So what the Jews were reading before, they may not have known it, but they were looking forward to the fulfillment of those blessings and the things that they confessed and prayed for in those blessings as coming to full fruition in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, and who will be perfected at his revelation. So salvation, those words are prominent throughout uh, this benediction. The prominence of the idea of redemption elsewhere in Peter's letter like in verse 118, he says, We were ransomed with the precious blood, of Christ, precious blood of Christ, speaking about the redemption that the Jews had been looking forward to with these prayers in the synagogue, and now they're fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Blessed are you. Uh, I was uh, studying one time about, about how to pray for a, uh, when we, ask, when we say grace, to say a prayer at mealtime. And there was one in there that began with these words. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. So uh, some of those benedictions, there's nothing wrong with asking the Lord to, to bless your food. But here the Jews were, were blessing God for having provided the food. So Peter is full of thanksgiving. He's full of uh, joy and he's full of gratitude after giving a blessing uh, Paul in many of his epistles after giving a greeting says blessed be God I thank my God I give thanks to my God in all but a couple of his epistles so both of these apostles suffered many hardships and disappointments but yet their ever-present thankfulness is shown in these epistles so brothers and sisters, as we, uh, we think about that, we think about what, the, what kinds of things the apostles endured in their life. And we, day to day, being influenced by our daily cares, by the news cycles, by the general unthankfulness uh, of our culture, it is easy to fall into being grumblers. How can this be? How can this be? We are just like Israel coming out of Egypt. We're wailing to get out. 
Then their faith gets tested and they're wailing to go back. Are we wailers or are we those who bring a word fitly spoken, which is like apples of gold in a setting of silver from Proverbs twenty-five eleven? Psalm nineteen fourteen says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 103, which uh, was part of our prayer of adoration this morning. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord and forget not all his benefits. Psalm 118.1 says, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And finally, 1 Corinthians 10, 9 through 12 gives us a warning that we are to have blessing coming out of our heart and being uh, proclaimed by our lips. We're not to be those who put Christ to the test. 1 Corinthians 10, 9 through 12. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer in the wilderness. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. So I would encourage us all, myself first, to cultivate that spirit of thanksgiving, that spirit of adoration, that spirit of thankfulness and of blessing the Lord every day in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. We're to bless him specifically here because of his great mercy to us as sinners. For according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Great mercy. As someone uh, taught me some time back, mercy is not getting what we deserve because of our sins. And grace is getting what we do not deserve because of our sins. As we just heard in the assurance of pardon, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works that we have done, not because of our own righteous deeds, but according to his mercy by Doing what? Washing us in the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And um, God being rich in mercy. God being rich in mercy. Paul writes in Ephesians 2.4. Because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. Made us alive together with Christ. For by grace we have been saved. Paul also writes in Romans 11.30. Romans 11.30, just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy. Just as you were at one time disobedient to God, you have now received mercy. That's in the context because of the Jews having not obeyed and Christ having been crucified, yet that was the way that God grafted the Gentiles into the church. Paul again writes, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? 
For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. He is the one in his great mercy. He is the one who has caused us to be born again to a living hope. He is the one who brings us out of death, out of bondage, out of the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of his dear son, Jesus Christ. We who were dead in our sins, dead in our spirit, he causes us to be born again. As Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, 3, that you must be born again. It is not by our own efforts. It is not by what we can do, but it is the sovereign work of God's spirit. And I'm sure that, you know, many of you can think of, some of you, uh, you know, were blessed in such a way that there was never a time when you didn't know Christ from childhood, raised in the church. It wasn't that way for me. It wasn't that way for me, and I know it wasn't that way for some of you. But there's a time when you can remember, and you think that uh, you are the one who are making a decision for choosing God, but it was him working in you all along. You looked at, you could look at years and months and days prior to that point when God, by his grace and by his mercy, draws us to himself, and he is the one who did that work. Left to ourselves, we would continually wander and drift away from him and grow hard in heart and grow in our rebellion against him so we ought always to remember according to his great mercies he calls us to be born again and we remember that as we go through each point here we remember that because what peter again his primary purpose for writing to those people was to encourage them in the trials that they were now experiencing to not forget the mercies of the lord to not forget that it is a living hope And it is through the resurrection of the dead. James chapter 1 verse 17 to 18. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Of his own will. Of his own will. God brought us forth by the word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Uh, I have a quote from Matthew Henry's commentary. He has brought us to a living hope. Henry says, hope in the world's phrase refers only to an uncertain good. For all worldly hopes are tottering because they're built upon the sand. And the worldlings hopes of heaven are blind and groundless conjectures. But the hope of the sons of the living God is a living hope. Not only as to its object, but as to its effect also. It enlivens and it comforts in all distresses. It enables us to meet and to get over and through all difficulties. So that hope is steadfast. R.C. Sproul wrote it this way, hope is not taking a deep breath and hoping that everything's going to be okay. You know, you, you hear people all the time, you know, talking about hope. And many times it's an, it's an unfounded hope. It's really nothing more than, than wishful thinking. Uh, and it's, it's things that we do about things that are not certain. But this hope about the Lord 
is not uncertain. It is on a solid foundation that we have this hope. Sproul continues, it is assurance. What is this hope? It is assurance that God is going to do what he says he will do. This hope of final salvation is so certain that today we rejoice in it, knowing that it will never put us to shame. Romans 5, 5 talks about that. It talks about rejoicing when we encounter various trials. And, and the first part of that chapter talks about all the things that God works in us. And in verse 5 of Romans 5, he says that hope is one thing that is worked in us. And it does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So brothers and sisters, you know, there are many things that we hope for, many things that we want to see become better uh, in our lives, the struggles and, you know, whether it's finances or family or illness or, you know, we, we could have a whole grocery list of things that we hope would be better and sometimes it gets better in this life and sometimes it doesn't. But there's always a hope that is the anchor, the steadfast anchor of our soul, our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and our hope is set upon him that enables us to weather the storms. And it's not just for that purpose that it happens because it turns out that, that while we have an inheritance with God, one place in the scripture says that we are God's inheritance, that Jesus bought us for the Father, and we are his. So if that's true, which it is, then we have an eternal hope that cannot be taken away. How did he bring about this hope? Through his great work in the death and resurrection of Christ, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There have been many people uh, throughout history who have uh, disbelieved or denied the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the very day of his resurrection. There were the deniers. There were those who sought to cover it up. There were those who couldn't believe that such a thing could happen, even though it had been promised in the scriptures, you know, for centuries. Uh, You know, for those of you old enough to remember, our uh, illustrious governor from a few decades ago, Edwin Edwards, I remember one time was was asked about the resurrection and Ed was going like, well, I don't know. He says, maybe he just swooned, you know, but (laughs) some of you might remember that quote, but uh, maybe he just swooned. And there are many today who who doubt the resurrection. Uh, Matthew Henry says, Christ did meritoriously work our justification and his salvation by his death. And by his passion, but the power and the perfection thereof with respect to us depends on the resurrection. It depends on the resurrection. We have to remember that the faith that we have when we are speaking to those, you know, whom we love, those whom we're acquainted with, and those whom we want to speak the good news to, we must remember that our faith is based upon facts, upon history. Matthew Henry continues, all this with respect to us depends on his resurrection. By his death, he paid our death. In his resurrection, he received our acquaintance. Isaiah 53, 8 says that by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. 
and that the Christ was stricken for the transgression of his people. Same chapter, Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. You think back on the life of Peter in the Gospels, the denial of Christ. You think about Peter writing now about the resurrection. Can you imagine how Peter, you know, the scripture said that he went out and wept bitterly after his denial of Christ three times. It was like when Jesus died on the cross, it was the end of all Peter's hopes. You know, he's the one who stood against the Lord, says, I'm not going to let you go down that road to go to Jerusalem and get killed. And Jesus rebuked him. So remember that. We, re- we need to remember that as we read what Peter writes here. His hopes uh, were dashed. You know, he was so upset with the death, with the trial and death of Jesus Christ. And yet, yet Christ redeemed him. The resurrection was a life-changing reality for Peter. When he died on the cross, Peter knew only bitter sorrow for his own denials. He heard the crowing of the rooster and he heard the echo of his curses. But God restored him. And God had that purpose for him. Romans 4.22, speaking about the faith of Abraham being counted to him as righteousness. In verse 24, it says, It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life in John 11.25. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. So without the resurrection of Christ, there is no hope of eternal life. But that resurrection, that resurrection is a secure fact of history. Paul writes, we're talking about Paul a lot today, but we'll get back to Peter. Paul wrote to the Corinthians when there was doubt and a teaching that was going against the bodily resurrection of Jesus. He said, I'm going to tell you what's really important. He said, the thing that's in first importance, Christ died for our sins. And that was according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. And that was according to the scriptures. He appeared to Stephen to the twelve. He appeared to more than 500. He appeared to James and to the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me. To fulfill the scriptures. He goes on. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead. How can some of you say. There is no resurrection. If there is no resurrection. Then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised. Our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. We are found to be misrepresenting God. If we proclaim that. Paul goes on the right. If the dead are not raised. And Christ is not raised. He says, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. So, brothers and sisters, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Christ our Lord are all very important. And we need to remember and we need to stand upon that foundation.
So he has been raised from the dead, and he is the first fruits. He is the first fruits of all those who have fallen asleep. For as by one man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead, and all in Christ shall be made alive. His gracious inheritance for us is an inheritance that is imperishable, that is undefiled, and it is unfading. It is imperishable, it is undefiled, it is unfading, and it is kept in heaven for you and for me, who are fellow believers in Christ. Back to Peter, 1 Peter 1, 18, 19. Peter says, we know that we were ransomed from the feudal ways that we inherited from our forefathers, that we inherited from the world, that we inherited from the ways of the world. We're ransomed from those feudal ways that we inherited from the world, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but we were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. So what is that inheritance, what it's like, and what is it compared, you know, to what we have? It doesn't matter what we have. You know, there's the old cliche that, you know, you never see a U-Haul trailer behind the hearse because there's nothing that we can take with us. In this life. There's nothing that we can inherit. There's nothing that we can lay hold of. There's nothing that we can gain in this life as far as material possessions or experiences or things. Anything apart from what the gospel of Christ does in us is perishable. It is, it, it's defiled by sin. It is, uh, it is fading away. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread from the the catechism, it says, give us a competent portion of those things that we need, you know, for this life. Uh, So it's not wrong to pray for the things that we need in this life. It's not wrong. In fact, we're instructed to work for our own provision, our own good. It's not not bad, but it's good and glorious to enjoy the things that God gives to us in a righteous way, with a thankful heart, with gratitude, with generosity. But our really true inheritance is eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth. Our true inheritance, that which cannot fade away, that which cannot be taken away, that which is not defiled, that which is not fading, is eternal life in the new heavens and the the new earth. No more enemies, no more pain, no more sorrow, No more sin, suffering, and death. Our inheritance is being face-to-face with Jesus. The Apostle John says, we do not know exactly what that is when he, you know, praises God and says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called the children of the sons of God. He says, you know, we don't know what that's going to be like when we see him. We don't know exactly what we're going to be like, but we know this. We'll see him face to face because we'll be as he is. We will enjoy his presence forever. So the assurance of the inheritance is a comfort for those who are persecuted then, for those who are persecuted now. But it's also an exhortation and a warning to us to lay up our treasures in heaven. 
to really let the important things of our life be those things which are imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Jesus instructs us, instructs us in Matthew six nineteen, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But, brothers and sisters, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. And here's an important thing that Jesus says. For where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Where our treasure is, that's where all our our longings are going to be. That's what we're going to strive for. So it is a word of exhortation. It is a word of warning to us. And it's to compare. Well, there's really no comparison between God's inheritance and what we think is good to keep and hold on to. He further gives us an exhortation and a command. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he devote be devoted to the one and despise the other. Finally, How is it that we are preserved? How is it that we are protected? How do we avail ourselves to be able to remain steadfast in this hope that God has given us? We go back to Paul in Ephesians 1 when he's praying for the church there. He's praying that they would understand the riches of God's glorious inheritance in the saints. That we would understand what the immeasurable greatness of his power is. Toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. The same regenerative power that raised Christ from the dead is that power that works in you and I. It's that power that caused us to be born again. It's that power that preserves and it keeps us. And he has seated Jesus far above all worldly powers, rule and authority and dominions. In 2 Peter, in 2 Peter, he continues to instruct the church there. Peter writes, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And he has granted to us very great and precious promises so that through them we may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now, don't take that. uh, He's not saying that we can become like gods in that statement. You'd have to read that whole passage to get all all of it. But that we can partake of God's power, that divine power working within us, that power that brings us and preserves us for that inheritance. That power is from the word dynamis, which you might recognize as dynamite or dynamo, which is like a, an electrical generator, or you think of a person being dynamic, uh, you know, a person who's full of energy and power and persuasive and all of that, you know, that all comes from that, that same root word. But it's an ability, it's an abundant and as it applies to God, it's an inherent miraculous, an inherent miraculous power and might. That is the kind of power that is evident 
as God brings us into himself. It is that power that can take us out of rebellion against God and draw us to him and cause us to be born again. And he says we're also being guarded. And that word is to be a watcher in advance, someone who's a lookout, someone who is standing in the tower, someone who is mounted as a a guard or a sentinel, someone who is there to protect and to warn by military guard to prevent hostile invasion and takeover. So we are being, we have that power and we are being guarded by what? We are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So faith comes down to faith and trusting in the Lord. Philippians 1.6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. John 10.28.30, I give them eternal life. They will never perish. You will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me. There it is. We're the inheritance that God receives through his Son, Jesus Christ. We are Jesus' inheritance. It is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. It is through faith, 1 Peter 1.21, who through him we are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that our faith and our hope are in God. Edmund Clowney says, God who works for us also works in us. Our faith is his way of keeping us. It is his gift. Why does God use faith as the instrument of his keeping power? Because faith is not our achievement, but trust in God's achievement. So finally, in closing, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There's no magic to perseverance. There's no magic to obtaining this inheritance. It's not wishful thinking. It's not all the things that that we can do. But it's primarily through those things that we call the ordinary means of grace. That is preaching. That is prayer. It's the word. It's the sacraments. Avail yourselves of these things here at Hope Church and at home. Let your trust, let your hope, let your meditation, as we read earlier, be in the word of God and his promises. Uh, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this day. Lord, that you have uh, promised to keep us. And Lord, you are giving us an inheritance. Lord, as we will see in the next time as we read on in Peter, Lord, that even through trials and tribulations and times of Uh, seeming hopelessness. Lord, you are the one who will preserve us and keep us through all these things. We ask that you would strengthen us to trust in your promises. In Jesus' name, amen.